started this morning. Welcome everybody to Hope Builders. Glad to have you here. Um, let's read our verses together today. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You may want to turn me down just a little bit so that they don't turn me off and leave me. Again, the, the book of Romans ultimately is about the gospel. And as we look at this, what is the impact of the gospel in our lives? If you've accepted the gospel, the truth of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, you've accepted Christ as Savior, say amen. Amen. You've been born again. You're, you've been justified. You're sanctified. You will be glorified. And we're going through this life now. But are you, are you ever frustrated like I am that you, you don't have the Christian life down yet? That you still struggle with sin. Does anybody not struggle with sin? Okay, that's good because the Bible says if you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth isn't in you. So just wanted to make sure that was clear. <laughs> However, don't be defeated by that scripture. Although it's true, we can, as brothers and sisters in Christ, through the walking in the spirit, through living together to, as a body of believers who encourage one another, support one another, develop ourselves through the word of God, we can minimize our sin life. Amen? Amen. We, don't, we have the power to say no to sin. Correct? That's right. Yes. yes. Okay? So you, we don't have to and yet we still struggle with this reality. And I love the fact, again, that the Bible is filled with not just pie-in-the-sky dreams. It also deals with, and the, and the writers of Scripture address their own personal struggles. And Paul does that in this passage. But let me just say, this is, this is not, again, these chapters are not easy. And some of the things that Paul addresses here, especially in the beginning of chapter 7, is it, even scholars are kind of scratching their head trying to understand it. But there's a clear, ultimate result of this passage that I hope that we get. And the theme verse, verses, part of it, for this lesson today is Romans 7, 24 and 25a. What a wretched man I am. The Apostle Paul said that. He recognized his own sinfulness, like the sinner in the synagogue who beat upon his breast and said, Oh God, what a sinner am I? Jesus, recognizing that heart, the reality of his own acceptance of his sin, looked at that man and said, That man walked out righteous. The one who didn't was the, the one who, in a high and mighty attitude, looked up to, towards heaven and said, I am so grateful that I'm not like one of these. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. And you just admitted it. 
fact, pride is probably one of the, the greatest sins that we commit. Because we make ourselves up to be like God. How many of you have ever read the book or watched a movie of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Anybody ever remember that? Okay. Now, probably you haven't watched it in years. I mean, obviously, back in the 20s was, you know, a very famous one, and it went on into other times as well. But to me, this is kind of epitomizes, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde epitomizes Romans 7, all struggle. Dr. Jekyll is a chemist, and he recognizes within himself that there are two persons within him, the good and the evil. And he thinks that he's going to be able to, as a chemist, be able to split the two. And he ultimately drinks a potion, which then causes him at night to turn into the bad side of him, Mr. Hyde. And in the day, he's Dr. Jekyll, the good, if that's good. Chemist. Now, he recognizes the reality within himself, but he never accepted, never could understand how evil he could actually be. And yet, as we look around our world, we're humans. We're part of one race, folks, the human race. And as we look out into humanity, whether you watch what's going on in, in Russia and the Ukraine situation, whether you go into history, whether you go in, into the history of the United States, what is the, the heart of man? Wicked. How wicked really are we? How wicked can we actually be? We have members of our service in Bedford that I couldn't do their job within a sheriff's department that's focused on the dark web. They came to Liberty to do a training for our students to help uh, understand uh, trafficking and how to, how to help women out of getting trafficked and why are there trafficking going on. And, and let me just tell you, human trafficking takes place all the time in the United States. It's not just a worldwide problem. In fact, the number one time, according to some of the research that's being done, the number one time human trafficking occurs is during the Super Bowl. Hmm. Wow. You get all these people coming together and all of these young girls are trafficked and bring, bring them in to service. They don't even focus on that kind of stuff. Because I asked them, I said, how can we get this stuff off the internet? How can we avoid that? He goes, we don't even have time for that kind of stuff. We're dealing with abuse to children. Three and under. It's unbelievable the darkness that's within us. The potential for evil within us. And if you were ever in a doing research on this, which I hope you never do, 
Sometimes we, as Pastor Jonathan was sharing today, there's a lot of Christians that don't like the concept of hell. And yet the depravity of man, the wickedness of man, is seen by God. Everything. Why he doesn't wipe us all out is because he does not change. Though he is just, he's also love. He's good. Otherwise, if he was like us, and we saw all this, we'd be gone. Good morning. Welcome to class. <laughs> what are the differences between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Do you remember? What was the differences? Dr. Jekyll was sophisticated, kind, brilliant individual. Do you remember the imagery of, of Mr. Hyde? The distortion of face and body. The wickedness that came at night. Dr. Jekyll said, I was tenfold more wicked than I ever thought. The reality is, we can be as well. Someone read for me Jeremiah 17, 9, a very familiar passage of scripture. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond pure. Who can stand, who can understand it? I prefer your translation. <laughs> Who can stand it? <laughs> yeah, who can understand it? We understand this before a person is saved. But after they're saved? Why doesn't God fix us so that we don't struggle with sin anymore? Don't you get frustrated at times with, with people who, who come to Christ and they don't live like it? And you think to yourself, well, are they really saved? Now, I want you to think about yourself. Since you became a follower of Jesus, if you are honest, whether it is pride, whether it's gossip, whether it's anger, whether it is discouraged, whatever sin you want to come up with, think about your sin since you became a follower of Christ. Would you like for a movie to be played of all of your sins since coming to Christ. If I had the capability of doing that, would you want me to display it for everyone to see? I know I wouldn't. Right? And I don't think you would either. So, but the question is, is then why didn't God just fix us? Because the Christian life is not just one that we get saved and everything is, is perfect. It's we walk by faith. We walk by faith. And we learn to submit our will to God's in everything that we do. Now, if we realize our own sin and none of us would want our, our sins up on the screen, then the question is, if you really love one another, husbands, wives, parents, children, if you really love the way God intended, shouldn't our focus be, rather than pointing out other people's sins, to help them sin less? Shouldn't our focus be in our own Christian life with our spouse, not to condemn, not to reject, not to spew out evil, not to be unkind, to be discouraging, 
to, to say things that's not uh, building them up, but to do that which ultimately encourages them to become more like Christ. That we actually support one another and encourage one another that way, rather than spewing Satan's evil towards each other or toward children or others. It's so easy, though, to default. Because, doggone it, they're a Christian. They should know better. I know I get frustrated. I fall, the things that I share with you are coming from my own life, too. When you see someone that's not living the way you, you think they should, and why would they do that? Again, the carnality of man, the evil within us. Our focus, and it has always been this case in this class, is I, I will continually do this uh, because I think we all need the encouragement to say, bless one another, encourage one another, support one another. Build each other up. Be more kind. Deposit more than withdraw. The illustration of the bank account, right? You deposit more than you withdraw from them. And there will be times that you're going to do withdrawal. But if you're depositing more into them than withdrawing from them, your relationship will last. Whoever it is. A new reality. Romans 7, 1-6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. <coughs> for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if she kills him, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but if her husband dies... She's released from the law that binds her to So that if she has sexual relations with any another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law, to the body of Christ, that you might belong to one another. To him who, raised, uh, who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once found us, we've been released from the law, so that we will serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So ultimately now, when we look at this, the Old Testament law was the authority as long as a person lived. Paul used the illustration of marriage, a person is bound in marriage as long as the spouse is alive. But once they've died, you're free to be remarried, and sexual relations outside marriage is considered adultery. But if the spouse has died, marriage and sexual relations after remarriage is permitted. Now, this is not an address of all the teachings of Scripture. Okay, there are other factors that the Bible addresses, but in relationship to this issue, it's assumed that sexual relations will occur after remarriage happens. Now, to what extent that is, that's, that's individual and personal, okay? I'll never forget, um, several years ago, um, a, a couple came to me and asked me to do their wedding. Uh, both of their spouses had died. 
and it was several years later, and they had met, and they wanted to get married. And they were nearing 70, I'll just say that. And they asked, I said, well, I'll do your marriage if you'll allow me to do your premarital counseling. They said, of course. So we sat down and went through premarital counseling with them, and then I got to the awkward section. <laughs> okay. Intimacy. And I mentioned that, and the lady looked at me and she goes, oh, we don't need to discuss that, that's not gonna happen. And I looked at her, her soon-to-be husband, and I said, would you agree with her? And he said, no. And she looked at him with shock in her eyes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'll never forget. <laughs> and I also looked at him and I just dumped on him like, duh. <laughs> Obviously, humor, but at the same time, the reality, there's an understanding even within Scripture. In fact, the Bible actually understands this. And he says, you know, if you do not, if you're not intimate, it should be for prayer and fasting. And then come together again so Satan doesn't tempt you. Yeah. Yes, I did do their marriage. Yeah, at the, at the Pink Chapel. Or at the Prayer Chapel, but Liberty. And they were happily married, and he passed away, and she said, I'm staying single. <laughs> so we, we have an understanding of the law. We die to the law when we accept Christ and die with it. We're, we are in Christ and then raised with them. This is what that section is teaching on. We're in Christ. We've been raised for a purpose, and that's to bear fruit. Someone read for me these two passages from Matthew 7, 20 and John 15, 5. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the purpose is when we accepted Christ, we were in him. We were grafted into Christ. And we, we're in him for a purpose, and that's to bear fruit. And by our fruit, it recognizes who we're grafted to. Satan or Christ. The flesh or the spirit. And he's the vine. Okay? You're the branches. If you remain in Christ, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you gotta separate your if you're not a part of Christ, you're not going to bear fruit. Colossians 1, 9 and 10, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. So as we look at this passage, our purpose is to bear fruit. So fruit inspection time. Okay? Think about your past week. What fruit did you produce 
in your life. If someone were around you and consumed what you were, what would they be feeling? What, are they satisfied? Are they enjoying your presence? Are they being satisfied by the fruit that you're producing? Or are they gagging? <laughs> okay? Have you ever been into a piece of fruit that was rotten? I have. An apple? What do you do? Mmm. What do you do? You spit it out. Okay? Especially if there's half a worm left. <laughs> okay? So in other words, if people are around you, what are they consuming when you're around them? Are they enjoying the fruit you're producing? Or are they gagging? Are they unhappy? Is the, is the lesson practical? Okay? In other words, the only good is if you, we hear and we listen as we go, okay, Lord, what am I producing? What am I doing? The second part of this lesson is a battle we can't win. Romans 7, 7 to 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Because it produced, you know, realized, we realized that we're sinful because of the law? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin, is, uh, sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the not law had not said, you shall not covet. We had a president a few years ago who, you know, who, who made a you know, statement, I did not have that woman. <laughs> we'd be the same way. If it wasn't clearly written for us, we'd come up with some excuse. Well, I don't know. That, that's not how I interpreted that. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced, okay, this coveting, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. Sin deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? No means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good, the law, to bring about my death. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's try to break it down. The law was given to show us how sinful we are. Paul is describing himself using past tense verbs, addressing himself before salvation. And we remember the life of Paul before salvation, right? What, 
What did he recognize? What was one of the things that he did that everyone recognized how simple it was and how scared they were of Paul when he first became a Christian? They thought he was an undercover Christian, right? What did he do? Murder. Murder. He had Christians killed. Stood over them. Okay? Paul uses the example of coveting. Okay? Coveting is desiring what someone else has, and you're not satisfied until you get it. I want that. I want that. And, but then, after you get it, you're really not satisfied. Ever want something, and you get it, you're never not satisfied? Coveting is the root sin to all other sins. So as an example of such, how? Okay, but coveting, we commit all other sins. What, what does that mean? When you desire something, think about that. Obviously, we can look at pride and other things, but when you covet, you desire something you don't have. Why is that a root to all those sins? Name a sin. Lying. Lying. Okay. What do you want from them? What are you ultimately wanting from them? Acceptance. So you lie to get what you want. And you keep lying because you have to keep lying because if, you, if the truth comes out, then what, what's going to happen to you? Dead. Huh? Dead. Well, you could be dead. But people will think you're what? A liar. And wrong. When you think about it, all, you know, coveting, when we want something that we don't have, adultery, murder, okay? Everything related to it, it just comes from that desire within us. Exodus 20, 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, we want something that we don't have. Health. Wealth. Stuff. Yeah. I've been thinking about this um, for some other reason, but it seems to me that Buddha held up that the desire itself was what you needed to separate yourself from. So his, his ultimate goal was nothingness. And um, so as I was meditating on that, I thought, okay, well, what does the Bible say? And it is actually the satisfaction that comes from being connected to our, our, our creator through our Savior Jesus. He satisfies us. There's many, many, many verses that talk about being satisfied uh, with with God, so we don't need to covet. We accept what He gives us with thanksgiving. So we are satisfied. This is not a verse that you can use to say, you know, stop all desiring. No, it's a signal to to go back to Jesus and say, I feel like I need blah blah blah. What do you have? How do you want to satisfy me? We are to be satisfied people, not <laughs> repressed, you know, stopping down everything that we need or, or want, but actually going to God as the source to fulfill every desire and need that we have. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. Buddha was right in the sense that, in the sense of 
We often, as Christians, we can learn from this. We can learn from the scripture. We don't have to learn it from Buddha. But do we not suffer because of what we desire and can't have? We desire, and when we desire things that we can't have, that coveting, it, it does bring us dissatisfaction. But ultimately, the greatest desire was placed into us by God himself. The desire to know him. That relationship. And that's, you, you can no more stop desiring than you can stop breathing. But what are you, what are you desiring? That becomes the key. Good point. The law intended to bring life brought death. How? It's, it is, the law, is it the law's fault that we die? No, but it does show us that sin is utterly sinful. When we go through that, we, we kind of look at ourselves. We, we can't look at ourselves and go, I'm not such a bad person. I've never murdered anybody. I've never raped anybody. I've never, you know, done those kinds of things. And yet, the greatest commandment wasn't, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. What was the greatest commandment? Someone, raise your hand so I can call on you. Sandy. And if we don't do that, we've broken God's greatest commandment. And then love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law. Everything's wrapped up into those two. Love God, love people, right? And so everything that we do then is wrapped up in those two concepts. And when we don't do those two key things, we have sinned. And we're utterly sinful. Finally, we talk about, and Paul addresses a battle we don't have to lose. There's a battle we can't win, but there's a battle we don't have to lose. We know that the law, Romans 7, 14 and 25, is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It's like getting pulled over. The law's good. It's meant for my good. I just don't like it. <laughs> it points out that I was wrong. Give me my ticket. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. I can't tell that to Cheryl, though. I, though it's been years since I had a ticket, so it's not a real good illustration. <laughs> I don't think you've ever had a ticket. sinful nature. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He's good. The Holy Spirit's good. For I have the desire to do what is good. It's a huge statement. I want you to underline it. You know, mark it. Think about it. Focus on it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will have the desire to do what is good. You're in the war. You're in the battle. Okay? You will have, by the Holy Spirit within you, the desire to do good. Okay? But I cannot carry it out. Now, in the flesh, I can't carry this out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do this, I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Paul now shifts to the present tense, describing himself as a saved man. <coughs> Paul focuses on the battle between the sin, the flesh, and our new empowered, our new self, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Someone read Galatians 5.17 for me. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Don't read that for me. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See, you've taken off your old self and put on a new self, but it's being renewed being renewed by the Holy Spirit, the image of God that's in me and through the Holy Spirit doing that in my life. And I, I've died to self. I've died with Christ. Let it die. Lou, let it die. I just keep bringing it back up. I, I keep resurrecting the old self. And I have the right to do that. God gave me the ability to do that. I shouldn't, but I do. <coughs> I should die to myself every day. That's why he told us, take up your cross daily and follow me. The spirit leads us to live holy and the flesh leads us to sin. Paul then say, based on this struggle, what a wretched man I am. He recognizes his own battle within him. It's wrong, I know, but I face it and I don't want to do what I, what I do. He declared his thanks to Jesus who's delivering him from the struggle. His conclusion, Romans 7, 24 and 25, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus, I can be delivered from this body of death. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So what do I do? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to think Christianly. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the, that's the goal. But it's a battle of the mind. It's what are we going to yield to? What are we going to give into? The flesh cries to be satisfied. And it, it has desires that want to be fulfilled. And then when you give into that desire, it's not satisfied. It's never satisfied. And when we yield and fight the battle and beat our body into subjection and say no, but we have life. 
We die and have life. We give into the flesh. We give it to the Spirit, and we have life, and life to the full. I guess for us today, me first, choose me, choose this day, who am I going to serve? Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, may we choose life. But to choose life, we must first choose death. To our flesh, the old self, and walk in your spirit. God, through the sanctification of your Holy Spirit, may you continually help us to fight the good fight. We can't do this. It's not, it's impossible. We can't do it. The greatest seed that's in you than he that's in this world. With you, all things are possible. God, help us to walk out of here today more knowledgeable, more dead to self, more willing to, to give life in everything we say, in everything we do, and our, even our motives for doing that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love y'all. Have a great week.